Carte Blanche is a French word, meaning, well, had a military origin to it, but it ended up meaning a blank sheet of white paper with a, sig with a signature to it. That you could fill in on that signature anything you wanted, and whoever signed it gave you the authority to do so. Carte Blanche. It is uh, a check, a blank check, that I might sign for you, and you could fill it out to anybody that you wanted to fill it out to, or yourself, put in any amount you want, and because my signature's on that check, you could get carte blanche. That's where the term came from. It's a French term. When we look at the passage in Matthew chapter 7, and I want you to turn there with me and look down at verse 7, it looks like carte blanche. It looks like Jesus has signed a blank check that you can ask anything you want to ask, that you can seek anything you want to seek, and you can knock on any door you want, and the promise from Jesus, the blank sheet of paper with his signature on it, is that he will answer, he will open, and he will do what you want him to. But nothing could be further from the truth. First of all, we've all asked the Lord for things that he said no. And later on, we were very happy that he said no, looking back. But beyond that, the reason why this is not carte blanche is the fact that it is with a flow of a speech, a sermon. Now, some look at this Sermon on the Mount like cherry-picking. They think Jesus, like ADHD, went from one topic to another topic to another topic to another. But that's not true. He, like all good sermons, built a case on a ladder with steps. So you must, we must connect chapter 7, verse 7, with all that went before it and all that went after it, at least in its local context. The topic of chapter 7 is judgment, of our not judging others, and yet even though we don't judge, we discern. Because he then says, last week, don't cast your pearls before swine. Or they'll trample you. So they, we must have in this life a discerning spirit with people. And yet at the very time, not judge them. That's a tall order. That's hard to do. In fact, that's impossible to do. Now, I, I, I want a 6B. It's not there. I want a verse in between verse 6 and verse 7 where Jesus says, what I just shared with you, you can't pull off. It'll always be your propensity to judge others unfairly. No matter how hard you try. It'll always, you'll always fall short to, to discern properly people and you're going to get burned by it. So how do we gain this wisdom? What's the answer to the dilemma of human relationship, of people and of life? Because we're all kind of floating through this thing together, aren't we? Trying to figure it all out. I just passed 60. I'm just, just getting started with life, but we're trying to figure it all out still. And in this context, Jesus doesn't say, try all you want, you'll fail, and finally when you come to me, ask. He doesn't do that. He lets us try. He lets us fail. He lets us bang our head into the wall a thousand times. And when we're tired of the answers this life gives us and we're trying to figure it out ourselves, he, he, he says, well, look at verse 7. 
Three very simple things. Ask. Why don't you just ask? I was reminded recently of my horrible proposal to Karen in marriage 38 years ago. It was a terrible mess. I was stuttering and stammering. My, my palms were, I just was a wreck sitting in that front seat of that car trying to communicate and ask her to marry me. Finally, after I've drooled down my chin for 20 minutes, she finally said, if you've got something to ask, ask it. <laughs> and then I said, you wouldn't want to marry me, would you? That's a terrible, it was a terrible proposal. And then she said, all right, I guess. The answer matched the proposal, didn't it? Jesus said, you got questions about life, you can't figure stuff out, you, you tend to judge, and you, you, you tend not to, you, you just, you're, you're, we're a mess. Ask. I had a church member talk to me last week, he said, he said, Pastor, he said, I'm so frustrated with a Christian life. I said, praise the Lord. He said, he said, Every time I try to be a good Christian, I fail, and I'm getting more and more frustrated. I said to him, brother, quit trying. You're trying too hard. Ask. And he says, it shall be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Find what? Anything you want? No. You'll find the answer to life. You'll find out what life is all about. And notice, it's all about this. When we're talking about asking and seeking and knocking, it's all about the personal relationship we have with Jesus Christ. That's everything. We've reduced Christianity down to a list of things to do. We've reduced it down to principles and precepts and the eight things you need to know and the four things you need to avoid and all this this gobbledygook of stuff that never works. It's about this intimacy where we can go to somebody and simply ask them. Ask him. Where we can seek him. By the way, you don't ask someone who you think won't answer you. If you ask somebody, it's because you think they know. And you trust them. If you seek for someone then it's because you believe they can give you something. Notice the last, knock. And it will be, notice it, knock and it might be, it will be open to you. A couple ladies were talking in our Wednesday night service with me who had come out of a, a fundamental background of religious oppression to say nothing, like, that's the best, nicest way I can say it. And they asked me this question. Actually, it was Linda and Susan. Let's just not say they. It was Linda and Susan. <laughs> Who's the they? It was them two right there. And they'd come out of a background of fundamental, you know, beat down kind of Christianity. And Linda asked the question, why did we escape that? And there's others who don't, who are getting burned so badly, they just give up on Christianity. And the only answer that came to my mind was, you kept asking. You kept seeking. You kept knocking. You kept asking the question, whatever Jesus promised, I'm not experiencing it right now. Something's wrong. There's a disconnect from what I'm experiencing in my church with what Jesus promised to be an abundant, overflowing life that flows out of the belly. Something's wrong. 
That's a good question to ask, isn't it? Or a good statement to come to. Something's wrong here. And he kept seeking, kept knocking. You gave him the old, this will apply to somebody, you gave the old Sheldon Cooper knock. Amy, 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 Amy. I do that to my daughter, Whitney, Whitney, on her door. Ah, the baby's sleeping. Knock and knock and knock. And he says to him this, look at verse 8. Notice he has to reiterate what he just said. When a teacher reiterates what he just said, it's because, number one, he doesn't think you're listening. But more than that, it's because it's hard to get this down. He says in verse 8, for everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. He will show you life. He'll show you himself. You will get there. But you have to be persistent in the seeking, knocking. Our part is to abandon the old stuff and move toward an open heart. I went to a writer's uh, workshop yesterday. It was a phenomenal event. It was worth five times what I paid to go there. And I was able to stand before a fellow who uh, had sold 28 million copies of thrillers throughout the world as he addressed 30 or 40 of us. We were able to ask questions. And this is what he said to us. He said, I wrote for 12 years. Nobody cared about anything I wrote about. I got rejected 85 times. I wrote manuscript after manuscript Threw him away, threw him away, threw him away. For 12 years, I knocked. I, he didn't say these words, but he knocked, he sought, he asked, and he kept working at it until he discovered the secret to what he was doing. Now, on a human basis, that's, a, that's true of anything we want to achieve. It takes a lot of hard work. This is not hard work I'm talking. In fact, I'm telling you to cast off hard work and come with an open heart because he says, look, if you ask, you will find out. I will open the door for you. Then he gives us an analogy or a story in verse 9. Or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then who are evil. Now, don't think of the word here, evil, as sinful. It doesn't mean that. It means natural. It means, it means just a natural human propensity to take care of your own. That's all it means. And compared to God's love and provision to us, you can probably describe a human's love as something earthy. That's all he's talking about. If you being earthy, natural, the lost or the saved are going to be good to their kids. Who know how to give good gifts to your children. You ready for this? How much more will the great God, your Father, this is an astounding thing for any religious teacher to call God <coughs> He called him his father, but he called him your father. There's no religion in the world that calls God father other than Christian. The Jews don't even do that. 
Do you know the Jews don't refer to God, Jehovah God, as Father? I have brought a brand new relationship that will transform your life, that he is the bread and life of your soul. I have communicated on human, intimate basis. These aren't scales of things you climb. This is, this is a, a slap in your face relationship with a person, with a life itself. Will your heavenly Father who is in heaven, there's the, there's the authority there, he is in heaven, will give good things to those who ask him. Now we need a little help. I need a little help. We just, whenever you interpret scripture, the very best way to interpret scripture is to compare it with another scripture of like fashion. So I don't ask you to do this much, but I want to ask you now to turn to Luke chapter 11. Keep your finger in Matthew chapter 7. Turn to Luke chapter 7. I'm going to turn with you. It takes me a few minutes too. Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11 is a like story. Jesus says almost the very same thing, but adds something that I want you to see. Luke chapter 11, keep your finger in Matthew chapter 7. We'll flip right back there. (coughs) Chapter 11 of the Gospel of Luke. Go with me down to verse 11. The story is familiar. We just read it. What father among you, if his son asked, for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? Verse 13. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? (laughs) I love that, don't you? That's the good thing. That's the good thing. It's the spirit of life. You can get for yourself things in life. You work hard, you're you're careful, you, you make good choices. That's your job. But what's not your job is to receive the life that makes it all come alive. And God says, you ask and you will get it. You'll walk in wisdom, you'll walk in life, and you'll be able to understand why you shouldn't judge anybody. You'll understand how to discern human nature and human beings and your own life. You will have great vision because his life is your life. Go back to Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. Herein is the golden rule. We know it as the golden rule. Now, I'm going to read it out into the ESV, but if you've got a King James, you're probably more familiar with that rendering, but I'm reading to you out of the ESV. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. This is the whole deal. That's a paraphrase. This is the law and the prophets. This is everything. Boil it all down in the Old Testament, the law and the prophets and the preaching and the law and all the precepts. It all can be wrapped down to one thing. Do to others what you would have them do to you. Now, I'm going to give you a couple, because this isn't new. It is new. But this type of saying was, in many 
philosophies before Jesus said it, but Jesus brings it to a level that none of the others do. Give me the, the first one up there. This was a Jewish rabbi, Hillel, who lived several hundred years before Jesus, and he said this, Do not do to your neighbor what is hateful to yourself. Do not do to your neighbor what is hateful to yourself. That's Hillel. There's a couple Greek philosophers. One was Socrates. He was long before Jesus showed up. He said, what stirs your anger when done to you by others? Do not to others. Whatever ticks you off, don't tick them off. The next one is Aristotle. He said this, which was a student of Socrates. We should bear ourselves. This is closer, but it's not there. This is closer to that, but it's not quite there. We should bear ourselves toward others as we would desire they should bear themselves toward us. Close, but not there. Give you one more, Confucius, which we loved to quote when we were kids. At least we did. Confucius, eh? What you do not want done to yourself, do not do to others. Now, all these have one characteristic in mind. They're negative and they're passive. They're all, what you don't want done, don't do. They're negative and they're passive. Jesus comes along and raises the bar way up here and he says, it's not enough not to do those things. Do. Actively, aggressively, do to others. Do. Take the proactive stance. Now, you can't do, the next verse is going to show us how to get to that place. But I want to tell you a story, and I'm just going to tell you off the top of my head. Uh, We have missionaries, uh, Aaron and Stephanie Boone. Uh, They're over in West Africa, or East Africa, I'm sorry, in Tanzania. And uh, they're going through a situation, I'm just going to tell you, because I don't have it in front of me, I read them on Wednesday nights. They, uh, part of their mission to the tribes that live around them is to have a farm. They, have, they, they raise crops, and through this they share the gospel. So they've got a farm, uh, an area set up. I don't know how, Aaron's going to be here in a couple months. You can ask him how big the farm is. But they've got a tribe out in the woods who have cattle and bring their cattle through. And they have tried to work with this tribe, but the tribe will tromp right over their farm and stomp on their crops. A couple months ago, they they destroyed about $500 worth of of crops in in the field of Grace Mission. So they brought it to the authorities, you know, this is what happened. They've tried to work with this tribe out there. And there's other tribes that are are around, but this was a mean one. And so they tried to work with them, can't work with them. They finally went to the authority and they arrested the chief of the tribe, got him in jail. The tribe came the next night to what they thought was the home of the missionary, but it was the home next door, and drug a man out in the street and beat him almost to death. In fact, the only thing that stopped them, they realized that they were at the wrong house. Okay? So they got arrested for beating that guy. Now you have all these tribes that are fixing to to battle and, 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 and crush it, and they came and destroyed and stole like 80 goats that they had on the property. 
stole a bunch of goats, trampled a bunch of more crops. This is Aaron and Stephanie Boone's mission with a bunch of other couples. They're working, trying to reach these people in these horrible, destructive, damaging, dangerous situations are at bay. So they came and arrested a bunch more of the tribe. Emotion rises. And this is what Aaron decided to do, Aaron and Stephanie. They decided with their mission team to go down to the courtroom and meet with that tribe if they would meet with them and forgive them for all the damaged crops, for all the goats, and offer them a portion of their farm that they can graze on and try to work this out. Now you've got all these tribes watching and when they went down to that courtroom, the ugly, crowd, the ugly tribe did not show up, the mean folks, but all the other tribes did. He said the building was full of all the people in that building. There's only one Christian. They're Muslim. They're all Muslim. There's only one believer in the whole building as Aaron and Stephanie and the team shared this. And they, and they and not only shared what they were going to do, they shared the gospel. They have been praying for years to reach these tribes. And through this Horrible situation, dangerous situation. They have had an opportunity to share. Why? Because they did to them in a proactive way, reached out and forgave them, offering to give them. You can't do that. How do you do that? Look at the next verse, verse 13. Enter the narrow gate. Enter By the way, this sermon is to Christians, to believers, not to the lost. The beginning of the Sermon on the Mount was Jesus took his disciples up and sat down and taught them. So what we're going to read here is not evangelistic. It's to believers. He says to them, enter the narrow gate. The one that few notice in verse 13. For wide is the gate... And the way easy that leads to destruction. Shimmy into the place where nobody's going. You want a big crowd? Go to the wide gate. Go to a form of Christianity that that tells you you can do things to grow in grace. Go along with all the strategies that were presented, the books that we read, and all the, the types of approaches to Christianity that that boils it all down to principles and precepts and, and a list. That's wide. Lots of folks go there. The narrow, though, are you listening? The narrow is a relationship to Jesus Christ where it's just you and him going through that gate. I brought an object lesson. It, 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 because look at the rest of the verse. It, it, it says, For easy is the way that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. It's almost like this is the narrow gate, and if you go through that little hole, just you and Jesus Christ, and, 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 and he becomes the bread of your life, and he becomes the total focus of your life. And the hard thing is rejecting all the old philosophies. The hard thing is rejecting human effort. The hard thing is laying down your pride and saying, in my flesh dwells no good thing. I need him. 
I need him every moment. I needed him at Lowe's the other night when I gave the little old lady a hard time because she brought my cypress mulch 10 minutes later and she should have brought it. I need him all the time. I need that narrow thing. And when we go through that narrow hard passage, all pride and self is gone and it opens up into life. But we as believers, if you buy into that Christianity where you're just working harder and harder at it, everybody's going that way. And it narrows down in the passage and you never experience life and joy and peace. And your mind is always on yourself. And I'm telling you, that's, that's destruction. Let's finish the verse. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And the Christians who find that Christ is their very life are very few. May they be many in this place. May there be many, if not all of us, who abandon our lives to Jesus Christ. Give you three things. Always got to have the three things that you need to know. You hear it on the radio all the time. And these are the three things. Everybody awake up there. Okay, there we go. Ask, seek, knock. They imply intense intimacy. You're not writing a letter. You're not sending an email. You're not Snapchatting or whatever that's called. You're looking someone right in the face and you ask, You're knocking on a door. When you knock on a door, you don't knock on a door from five miles out. You knock on a door expecting when they open, you're going to see them face to face. This is seeking the person and relationship and intimacy of Jesus Christ every moment. Number two, life is a gift. And it is a gift, and I'm not talking about your physical life, although that is a gift too. But we all know that the physical life is nothing without the spiritual life of life within us, the place of peace and joy and abundance that can't be touched by anything outside of us. That life is a gift from our heavenly true we have to knock and seek and ask. But do that, and he gives it to us as a gift. Number three, and we're done. The narrow gate is Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Not Christ plus your efforts, not Christ plus your church membership, not Christ plus the five things the guy in the book told you to do. Christ alone. It is looking away from self and looking on to Christ that is the small spot. Once that's entered, the life to be able not to judge others, the life to be able to discern life, the life to enjoy and do unto others is is empowered by his life in us. That's the key. 